Mac Power Users, episode 174, GarageBand for Everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my good friend, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, and we are going to tackle a, a topic that's been on our list for a while, and uh, we've had a couple of requests for, and that is talking about GarageBand. And I haven't used GarageBand in a while, and I know, David, you use a little bit for music stuff, so we thought we better uh, bring in some help here. And we've got the wonderful Chris Breen from Macworld has joined us. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, and Chris has written a series of articles recently, um, and I'm not sure if there's still continuing ones coming out in the series by the time the show podcast uh, broadcast or not. But uh, you, you've just done a series of articles about um, getting everybody, you know, how is GarageBand for non musicians, and what can people actually do with this? And that's kind of what pushed us to say, yeah, let's let's go ahead and record that GarageBand. So, so I have lots of questions because I am not a musician, and uh, I can't wait to pick your brain. Okay, great. You're not, you're not even that good at saying the word I musician. I am not that good at saying the word musician. <laughs> so. Well, also, Chris was our guest in episode 174. We did a workflow with him, and, and Chris is, in addition to being a, a writer and a geek, he's a very talented pianist and, uh, and musician and a professional geeking musician. So, uh, Chris, you're just like the perfect guy for this. Awesome. This episode. Awesome. And, um, and you've also been really, I think, one of the, one of the leaders out there. Can I use the word thought leader? I've always no, wanted please to say don't. that. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, there's a whole story behind that. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, so Chris is one of the leaders out there in getting people using GarageBand, which is, you know, as you said yourself, a very powerful music application that ships on every new Mac and now on every new iPad and iPhone as well. Um, it, but Katie's right. A lot of people out there aren't musicians, and they just look at this as something that's using up a lot of space on their hard drive. And their first question is, "How do I get rid of it?" <laughs> right. And I, th- you know, and and I think that maybe you should just hesitate for a moment, and and play with it a little bit. And so for this show, we're going to talk in addition to addressing how a non-musician or somebody who's never played a single lick of music can do something fun and interesting with this application. I'd like to talk to musicians a little bit too, or people who might've been a musician, you know, back in high school or something and haven't really blown the horn for a few years, but would still be interested. So, so let's kind of start with a beginner and just work our way up well, a little but, bit. How's but wait, David, there's more. You, you even reminded me before oh. the show, not to forget to mention this. Yes, there is more at, at the end of the show. We're going to talk about Macworld because Macworld's coming up in March and uh, we're going to be joined by Paul Kent from Macworld and uh, talk about all the great stuff coming up. I cannot wait for that Macworld. You know that. But before we get there, let's let's talk a little bit about GarageBand. And um, I guess you guys would be better to tell us, you know, GarageBand became a part of iLife. I, I think it was part of the original iLife suite, wasn't it, when, when it was introduced? Oh, years and years and years ago now. Has it? I think it's always been up. And it's, and it's evolved. And I, GarageBand was really... Uh, what kind of th- made me start thinking of, you know, I could probably do this this podcast thing because now Apple's given me a tool on the Mac that I can use to edit audio and at that point to put in chapter markers and do things like all of that. Um, but GarageBand, I guess, I guess I owe my podcasting start to GarageBand when it originally launched. 
Yeah, a lot of people do. Um, originally, when GarageBand launched, it, it really was focused on musicians. And with version two, that's when they introduced the podcast element because they weren't quite sure what they were going to do with the thing. Um, I think it was one of these projects that Steve loved. He came out and did a really long demo of this thing. And he said, Steve was not a musician, but he really just loved the idea of being able to give regular people, non-musicians, the power to strain together music and make it sound pretty cool. And uh, and so I think that the original demo just went on forever. <laughs> I think a lot of people in the audience were just going, okay, Steve, we get it. You love this thing. I thought it was great. I could have had him go another hour on GarageBand because I was so thrilled to see him put the power of musical tools into the hands of normal people. Yeah, I mean, just... The other day, I was walking down the hallway. My daughter's been picking up the ukulele lately. And I heard her in there playing the ukulele with a bass. And I, well, I'm like, well, how does she, what is she doing? And I went in there, and she had um, a, a tune she was working on. She's 12 years old. She figured out how to lay down a bass track using the chords of the song she was working on on her iPad. Yeah. And was just playing ukulele along with the iPad as the bass. And boy, if I was a kid, that stuff would have that stuff would have been like drugs to me. I would have gone crazy with it. Oh yeah. I, I, you know, as a kid, I was just envious of people who had like four track recorders because I, I'm old and I grew up in the days of tape. And so the idea of being able to multi-track and I did it when I was a kid because I had two tape decks and I would, you know, run them across to each other in sort of this very primitive way. But the idea of being able to multi-track to me was miraculous. And so that you could layer, one track on top of the other and then sing on top of it and do harmony with yourself it was like wow this is just like being in the beatles um except without the talent and so yeah. um the fact that you know here it comes garage band and it's thrown in with this i think they were selling i life like 79 or 49 dollars or something i think it was time. 49 for all four applications yeah yeah i mean so powerful along with everything else in the i life suite and um it just was a miracle. And, you know, it's more than just a recorder, but it also has synthesized instruments in it, and it's such a wonderful little tool. A MIDI sequencer, yeah. recorder, um, processor. Boy, it does some really great stuff. And, and it really grew up in front of us over the years. They kept adding these additional features, and it, it, it went through this spurt where everybody who was interested in music was, was interested in GarageBand. It's just like uh, the way back in the 80s, uh, certain computer manufacturers would cater to the music industry. Like I remember Atari mm-hmm. had a line of computers that they built MIDI ports into the computer and people would buy those because they just wanted to get their keyboard plugged into their computer. Now, yeah. Well, that's um, what started me with a Mac is it's because I was a musician and somebody showed me a Mac 512 KE running the very first version of Mark the Unicorn's performer, which is a digital sequencer. And that was it for me. I thought, wow, I can plug my MIDI keyboard into this thing via an interface, and I can record my stuff, and I can edit it all on a computer. So powerful. So, yeah, that's why I do what I do today. And, and today, uh, GarageBand has not been abandoned. It's They continue to evolve it. They've got a new version now. It's kind of interesting. They went from version 6 to version 10. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, but either way, so we've got this new version out on the Mac. It's also got a very interesting version out on iOS. Uh, I find both the version on the phone 
and the iPad interesting. The, the, the one on the iPad in particular, uh, as an accompaniment tool, I use it all the time because you can put chords in. We're going to talk about this stuff later in the show. I'm jumping to the end. i got to stop doing that. But even the iPhone thing where you could be sitting um, on a park bench and be working on a song is I, I think that's just like living in the future, but you know. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. But so I want to cut that short because before you get to all the geeky music stuff, and I will never pull you back from that, David, because I, I know <laughs> how this goes. I've got to get my section of the show in first. And, and I've yeah, got to ask you, Chris, I am not a musician. I took piano lessons, and, and that was one of my great regrets is that I gave up the piano lessons that my mom made me take for a year when I was a kid, and I never went back to them. And I always regretted that I've never learned how to play an instrument. And Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about how GarageBand can help me with that later. But I'm not a musician right now. So other than the fact that I figured out that I could do the podcasting thing through GarageBand, which maybe not so much anymore, and we'll talk about that, why do I care about GarageBand now? I, I haven't opened a GarageBand on my computer for months and months. So why shouldn't I just trash it? What what reason do I have to keep it and to do something with it? Um, for people who are non-musicians, there are a couple of things you can do with it that are helpful. One is you can create ringtones with it. So Apple gives us a really nice set of ringtones with our iOS devices. And particularly with iOS 7, they've really improved them. They've just got some tremendous stuff on there. But back in the day, we had our mobile phones and we said, yeah, I want, you know, Stairway to Heaven on here to play or Smoke on the Water or whatever it is these kids listen to today. And you wanted the first 30 seconds of your favorite song to play. And in order to do that, you pungled up 299 to get it from some third party, or eventually Apple started selling ringtones. Well, it turns yeah. out in GarageBand, you can create your own out of your favorite song for free. And that was crazy that we would spend three times the cost of the song yeah, if not more. to have a ringtone with a few seconds of it in it. Yeah, well, because it was the idea that this was magic somehow. It's like, wow, somebody did something to that to make it shorter. I wonder what that was. Yeah, <laughs> and it, so. yeah, and it turns out it's really quite easy. You launch GarageBand. They have a ringtone project in there. You bring it up. With a nice bell icon. A little so bell it's icon. Not even. Yeah, <laughs> makes it very easy to know this is what it is. You drag in something from your iTunes library. It can't be any longer than 40 seconds, so you just drag the ends of it until you get the perfect section that you really want. It doesn't have to be 40 seconds, but it can be up to. And then you choose Send to iTunes as ringtone, and it does, and then you sync it with your device, and now you've got a custom-made ringtone that costs you nothing. I, I want to talk about the mechanics of that a little bit, though. Um, the When I first started doing this years ago, and I don't know, maybe it was just me. I had to drag songs out of iTunes onto the desktop and then into GarageBand. I don't know if that was a licensing thing, um, but uh, maybe I'm just smoking something. But I remember a time when that's the only way I could do it. But but now they've got a media browser built right into GarageBand that... that looks at your entire iTunes library. Yeah, I think that right. change happened when the tracks went DRM-free, because originally you couldn't put DRM tracks to create a ringtone, so you had to convert. You had to do that kind of wrap-around, convert them to MP3, export them to your desktop, and then pull them in or something like that. But not anymore. Yeah. Right, yeah, so because they've removed DRM, you can do anything you want with them. Yeah, so the, so the idea is if you've got anything in your iTunes library you want to turn into a ringtone, all you have to do is go to Media Library, click it, and then uh, I would recommend spending a little time there. Uh, like if you want 
to bring in, you know, Buddy Rich's, um, um, let's say, uh, was it uh, Channel One Suite? That was, was that it? I think it was a Channel One Suite. Uh, you want to get to the exact right place. So you, you drag right to, you can drag the cursor, or I guess you'd say the, what's the name of that, Chris? Oh, this is the uh, trim points. Yeah, the trim point, right to the part you want it to start on. Don't just like drag the song in there and send it to iTunes because it really is that easy. Take a minute, you know, put it, if you've got a vocal you want to listen to, just drag to the very beginning of the vocal so you get it to start just where you want it. Um, and you don't have to be a musician at all. It's really obvious. And frankly, the process of making a couple ringtones is going to whet your appetite to do more with GarageBand because you're going to see how easy it is. You literally just drag and push. Yeah, for, for kind of the normal folks, it's um, it's really like collaging in a way. What you're doing is creating musical units in blocks. And if you can put Lego end to end to end, you can string together a tune or you can cut um, a ringtone. Also, under iOS 7, it doesn't have to be just a ringtone. You can create alerts. So if somebody is calling you, your mother is calling you, for example, and you want a particular song to play, you can do that. If you want um, some kind of soothing alarm or something shocking to get you out of bed in the morning, you can create a tone for that. So it can be a ringtone or an alert. Or you could have your mom yell, wake up at the top of her lungs into a microphone. Uh Yes, you certainly could. And you could drag that into GarageBand and you could make that into an alert and that could be your alarm clock. It it could be a shocking one at that. Yeah, exactly. So it's fun. Or you could take a clip from a podcast. I mean, any any bit of audio you can turn into a ringtone. It's just not. That's a really bad idea. If you haven't done it yet. If you, if you haven't done it yet, you should go try it because it's a lot of fun. And then when you start getting these custom ringtones for your friends, it doesn't just have to be the latest Beyonce song. Like I said, it could be it could be anything. It could be a, I have a ringtone, uh, a wake up ringtone that I've made. It's an alert. And I went online and I got all of the R two D two sound effects. Oh you know, because they're all over the web, right? So I got I, I had like eight different wave files of the various chirps and beeps that R2 makes. And then I, I took them into GarageBand and I, I put them in order. And it sounds like at first he's very sweet and then he just increasingly gets annoyed with me. And the longer I wait to turn it off, the more louder he gets and the more crazy his alarms get. Isn't that stupid? And, and, but and I, what, I just what love is he it. saying, David? I, he's saying, I, wake I up, David, get to work. Well, you guys have been doing this long enough. You remember they used to sell little sound editors along with like three Stooges sounds and Star Trek sounds and Star Wars sounds. And you paid like 60 bucks for these things. And now you can just make them yourself. Yeah, it's fun. And and you can play in GarageBand as you get a little better at it. There is a way to set the volume so you can make it so the volume gradually ramps up or moves down. I I think really ringtones are a great kind of gateway drug to get in there and kind of play with it and start fiddling with the dials and knobs. Because even if you're not a musician, you're listening to this show, you know how to play with Apple software and find out where the little buttons are. So get in there and, and fiddle with it and make yourself some ringtones and... And you're starting. Well, and yep. Chris Macworld's got um, an article that you did, as well as a video that talks all about this. So we'll throw links to both of those in the show notes, where you really walk people through exactly how this works. Yeah, it's it's safe. Safe as milk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing you do with the ringtones is you can use the loops, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But they already have canned little bits of music in there that you can use. So that works, too. Yeah. If you hate every song ever recorded, you can instead use one of God, uh, GarageBand's included loops. 
Every song. All right. Every song. <laughs> so I, I can make ringtones, but that's that's pretty cool use for GarageBand. But if I'm not a musician, um, other stuff you've got on there. Now, I've told people to use GarageBand before just as a, an audio editor. And I know you can do some basic audio editing in QuickTime, but certainly GarageBand is a much much better audio editor and a, a much stronger audio editor. I've, I've had people tell me, oh, I've, you know, taken lectures that I need to edit down or I've done like an oral history project where I've interviewed members of my family and I need to edit it down. What can I use to edit audio? And, and people always seem to forget that they've got GarageBand on their computer. They think they have to go out and, and buy something. I'm like, no, you've got GarageBand on your machine. Yeah, what's particularly convenient about it is that it shows waveforms. And for the uninitiated, that means that it's got a little, like a fingerprint of a, of a sound wave. And you can see it. So if you're trying to edit in something like QuickTime 7 uh, versus QuickTime 10, because you can't really, um, it doesn't have sound waves. So instead, you have to kind of, you know, move your playhead and go, is that? No, that's not the part. That's not. But here, you can actually see where there are gaps, um, big gaps of silence. You go, ah, that's where nothing happened so i can cut that bit out you can simply move the playhead there select it press command t to split the thing and then you just drag either edge and then drag them together just like you're fitting two pieces of pipe together and uh, and you're right it's a very simple way to edit uh, audio and command t is like one of the power tips of GarageBand. it's it's splits the audio track at the playhead so as you're playing through you can stop it with the space bar and then hit Command-T and break it. So, for instance, you'll see a waveform that's a nice long bit of um, of text or audio because it, it goes up and down. You can see it's a nice long waveform. And then there'll be a little pause, and then there'll be a big strong one, like if you cough. And right. then there'll be another pause, and then you'll see a nice waveform. So you just let the audio play till you finish the first waveform. You hit the space bar, hit Command-T, then hit, play, hit the space bar again, let it get past the cough, hit command T again, then you delete that little cough and then you drag them together. And it's like magic. You never know it was there. Right. If Katie and I had it together, we would do that to our show, but instead we just cough. Yeah, well, Really? You know. So that's allowed. I can just cough here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I don't need to. Yeah. Now I feel like I have to. No, go ahead. You, you've got a mute <laughs> button for that, David. Now we, we've gotten sophisticated. Yeah. And, and so you can drag pretty much any kind of standard audio file into GarageBand. So if you've got this audio file anyway, you can drag it in, or you can record directly into GarageBand with an external mic or even using the internal mic on your Mac. Yep. All right. So reason to keep it on my hard drive. And anything else I should, should care about this if I'm not a, not a musician? Absolutely. Uh, do you have a cat? I do not have a cat. Do you have a dog? I don't have a dog. I have no pets. Do you have any pets at all? No pets. Uh, do you have any cute I insects? I think a tribble or something. I do have a tribble. Yes, I do have a tribble. Do you, really? Yes. Is it living or is not? Well, not so yeah, I mean, it's multiplying right now. Oh, okay, great. So what you can do is you can take videos with your uh, iPhone, I suppose, right. of the tribbles uh, becoming greater and greater in number. And, um, and then, because I think this is appropriate for this, you can take that clip and you can create a movie track within GarageBand. That feature is still there. Bring your movie into it, and then you can create kind of a romantic soundtrack to go with it uh-huh. just by dragging loops together. So you go in and you click the little loop button, and it shows you a long list of all the loops that are in there. And then you can sort those by instrument. You could sort them by mood. So I think you'd want something kind of 
sexy to go with yeah, that. I think so. Kind of a Barry White kind of groove. And yeah. then um, you can just drag that loop underneath your movie, drop the sound down a little bit, and there you've got it. I mean, triples multiplying is is pretty great all by itself, but when you add some romantic music to it, it's totally happening. There you go. I, I think I've just found a I new career on the internet. I mean, who needs cat videos? I can just post this to YouTube and make millions. Oh, absolutely. And, and GarageBand will manage that for you, which is really nice. Um, we also put on the outline that you can use it to convert audio, which you know has got some use. It does. Um, a lot of times you'll find or you'll record something like an AIFF file or a WAV file, and this is uncompressed audio. So it tends to be about 10 megabytes per minute of stereo. That may be more audio than you want to pack onto something like your iPad or your iPhone. So within GarageBand, you can convert that to a, an AAC file, for example, and, and make it smaller. So it's, it's one way of doing it. iTunes offers ways to convert audio as well. But it's, it's another one of those features that it's handy if you happen to uh, have the thing open or have a copy nearby and, and want to do a quick conversion. Well, there's definitely a relationship between GarageBand and iTunes. So anything you work on in there. So let's say you do put together the R2-D2 uh, audio track or the treble soundtrack. Uh, all that stuff can be easily exported to iTunes. And I think as we talked about some of the more power features, that becomes even more important. But it's as easy as clicking one button. Just like sharing a ringtone, uh, you can share a song. Right. You go up into the share menu and you have about five options up there. And one of them is to send directly to iTunes. So it will do the conversion for you on the fly. And it just opens up automatically in iTunes and it starts playing. I want to talk a little bit about uh, GarageBand and how it's evolved for podcasters. But Katie, before we do that, why don't we talk about our first sponsor? Yeah, our first sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at Smile who make the amazing Text Expander. And Text Expander is one of those apps. It is the first thing that I install on a computer because I simply cannot function without it. And what Text Expander does is exactly what it sounds like. It expands your text. So if you find yourself typing the same thing over and over again, or whether it's your phone number, whether it's your address, whether it's an email signature, whether it's a paragraph of boilerplate text, whether it's an entire contract full of boilerplate text, whatever it may be that you're typing over and over and over again, Text Expander can make you more efficient because you can type more with less effort. And so what you do with Text Expander, and it's you know, New Year, so I figured it's a good time to give you a, a little bit of an overview of exactly what Text Expander does. Uh, but Text Expander runs in the background. And it takes note of, of what you're typing. And you save little longer snippets of text. And by longer, it can be a couple of words. It can be a couple of paragraphs. It can be a couple of pages. And when you type certain keystrokes, those words, paragraphs, pages, whatever they may be, will miraculously in front of your eyes expand onto the page of whatever application you happen to be working in, whether you're filling your address into Safari or whether you're uh, typing in an email signature, whether you're typing in your address or whether you're typing in an entire section of a contract. Uh, you can do any of these types of things with Text Expander. And then these snippets are more than just text, they can get really smart. You can have things like, because maybe you want to customize these little snippets of text from time to time, you can create fill-in fields, or you can create fields that are based on the date, or you can create fields that are based on a selection that you can choose from a pop-up menu. And so you can get real granular in your choice and do some amazing things with Text Expander. 
And if you're a lot smarter than I am, if you're like our friend Brett Terpstra, Frank, you can actually put snippets of code into Text Expander. So you can do things like, I don't know, have Text Expander uh, create, oh gosh, markdown links for you. Or you can have uh, Text Expander come back and shorten a URL into with a URL shortener of your choice or any of a number of wonderful things. So we sent out a call on a previous show for you to tell us about all the amazing ways that you are using Text Expander. And we had Jared write back and tell us that he works as a mental health therapist and for a community counseling agency, and he actually brings his Mac into the office to do all of his case notes because he finds that when he uses Text Expander on his laptop, that he can take an hour or two worth of documentation when he's typing up his case notes in about a half an hour. So he's finding that every time he has to sit down and take case notes on his clients, the text expander is saving him anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. And so what he's done is he's created text expander snippets for his patients' names for various other contacts, whether it be physicians or referrals or whatever, and he's got those all saved into text expander. He's got snippets for progress notes where he can fill in specific parts, where he frequently asks his clients the same question, and they usually have one of a couple of answers. It will fill in blocks of text based on their answers. He has uh, blocks of text based on the different parts of his progress notes, and he would ask their clients uh, all kinds of things. He'll have things about different topics, different activities, and it will fill in all of this information. And he said not only does it make his work much faster, but he thinks it makes him work better as a from a clinical documentation standpoint because he's more standardized in the notes that he's taking. So uh, that's just one case of how Text Expander is saving one of our listeners a ton of time in real life. Uh, you can find more information over at smilesoftware.com. You can pick up a copy of Text Expander for Mac for $34.95, and there's also a version for iOS for $4.99. So go check it out, and thanks to Text Expander for supporting the show. All right, let's talk a little bit about the about the idea of podcasting and GarageBand because they are very much interrelated. I know a lot of people that have looked at GarageBand never for music, but only for podcasting, like Katie, frankly, started yeah. out. And I think it was really smart of Apple to do this when they were trying to get podcasting off the ground, or actually when they were really trying to get podcasting into iTunes. It was already off the ground, but there was never really a central location for it. And there's a bit of history. I forget what year it was, but at one point, Apple added podcast to iTunes. 2005. And it kind of legitimized, yeah, it kind of legitimized the media. And at the same time, they said, and, and by the way, you can now make podcasts using this really cool tool we have called GarageBand. And they had templates set up for it. They have um, filters. So, so if you wanted to sit down and just start recording a podcast, all you really needed realistically was a headset microphone and a copy of GarageBand and, and you could have got started. In fact, our show was on GarageBand for probably the first, what, three years of its existence. Maybe longer yeah. than that, as long as we actually yeah. recorded it, yeah. Yeah. And so it's out there. And then uh, we had, and, and they actually added some very interesting tools, like, for instance, chapter markers and uh, audio enhancement tools. Um, you know, they they had quite a bit of, of things people were using, like uh, the podcast artwork you could put into the file as well. And then we just recently came out with GarageBand 10. And it's really not as 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 uh, friendly towards podcasters as it used to be. Yeah, they've stripped all the podcasting stuff out of it. Um, one of the brilliant things about the previous versions of GarageBand, when they put the podcasting elements in it, I mean, people are 
who are unaware of this may just think, well, it's still a recording application, so you could still record your tracks. But the real power of it was being able to put XML in it that was automatically uh, integrated for you. So all that stuff, if you have to cha- create chapter markers and, and embed all the podcasty stuff in there, you can do it. But it's outside of GarageBand, you're editing XML files, which is a drag. Nobody wants to do that. So... Apple just made it simple. If you wanted to insert a chapter mark, you just dragged a graphic up into the podcast track and it automatically created a chapter where you put that graphic. I still do things in GarageBand. When we assemble the Macworld podcast, I'm the guy who's editing it. I put chapter markers in there still because I think they're convenient for the audience. And um, But you can't do that in GarageBand 10 because GarageBand 10 is really more like Logic Lite. And they really wanted to focus on it being a music app. And so they just said, you know, we could have done podcasting, but we're just not going to anymore. Because part of it is that a lot of people aren't doing enhanced podcasts. Do you guys do enhanced podcasts or you just MP3? No, we just do the basic. And we we tried, but it was going to require two different feeds. Mm -hmm. And it's just, for a number of reasons, it's just never worked out for us. And and now it's even harder to consider it with these changes. Right. And that's I think that was Apple's justification. They said, yeah, if the world had gone that direction, maybe we would have kept it in. Again, this is just the voice in my head saying this, not Apple. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that most podcasters don't do it. I, I think I'm the exception that puts chapter markers and things. But it tends to be that, that most everybody says, look, I just want one feed. And actually with Macworld, we have one feed as well. It, it turns out there's so many devices now that support AAC that it's not a big deal. But at once upon a time, it was. You could only do the stuff on a Mac and a couple of devices, whereas everything supports AAC now. Yeah, and and if you at the time, if you put out... When we got started, if we had done that, then we would have had everyone complain that they couldn't listen on the right. device of choice. And now, you know, you build your, your audience, you can't have two different feeds. Exactly. It's, it's kind of messy. But anyway, so it, it does still work for podcasting, too. I guess I don't want people to think that, oh, I can't podcast anymore. If you're thinking about making a podcast and you've got a Mac, you've got the tools you need still. Uh, uh, you can't add the the chapter markers and some of the other pieces, but it's still a really good recording tool. And you could sit down on a microphone and record into GarageBand and spit out a file that would most certainly be an acceptable podcast. Right. And one of the things that's important for people to know is that when you install the new version of GarageBand 10, the old version is still there. It moves it into a GarageBand folder. And so you can still use GarageBand 6. It's still going to be on your Mac. It doesn't disappear. It still has all the podcasting tools built into it. So if you want to do that, if you really want to podcast and you need those kinds of tools, go ahead. Uh, One of the other nice things about the older version is that, and you mentioned this earlier, is the presets. It has voice presets specifically designed for podcasting. So I use the male radio one for male guests and female radio one. It adds some compression to it. It EQs it a little bit differently so that you end up with that kind of FM voice that is so desirable apparently <laughs> the um you know another piece of all this I, I think it's fascinating when apple releases a new app but they keep the old one on yeah I, i'd love to be in the meetings where they make that decision because you've seen in the past few years a couple times they did that when quicktime 10 came mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. You know, remember they left the old version out there they've done it with the new iWork apps 
I mean, th- this doesn't always happen. I mean, when we went from pages, oh, I think it was it pages 07 before to pages 09, um, you didn't, yeah, I don't remember it keeping the old version, but they did this time. I think they learned a lesson from Final Cut Pro Ten. Yeah. which is where people were incensed that they lost features and they couldn't get the old version. With this, uh, this suite of iLife apps and, the, and iWork apps, we lost features because of the iOS parody. And so to avoid the screaming, although people still did scream bloody murder, they made sure that you could keep the old versions and they didn't disappear. And I think it's a reasonable compromise. There's still going to be people who are going to carp about it because people like to carp. But um, if you're not satisfied with the current version of GarageBand, although I think it has some great features in it, you can use the old one. Hey, you know, I was thinking while we were talking about podcasting, another use for GarageBand for someone who's not a musician if you have a little kid is just to set up a mic and just have a conversation with them into GarageBand because you're going to get a really nice recording. And in a few years, you're, you'll, you will pay a lot of money to listen to one of those conversations again. Right. All, and particularly if, the, if your child has never heard their voice recorded before, it's fun to watch them freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, another use is I've, my daughter, my ukulele player. She's a real musician. She she likes to sing as well, and she does a lot of these things where she'll get the karaoke track and sing along with it. Mm-hmm. And this is another perfect use for GarageBand. I mean, uh, she's well, she's a musician, but I mean, even if as a parent I wasn't a musician, I could drag the karaoke track into GarageBand. It automatically creates a track for that background track. And then, once again, with the $15 headset microphone, I could have her sing into GarageBand, and I could have a really nice recording of her singing along with that background track. Well, and it has it also has effects built in. So, again, back in the day, we paid hundreds of dollars for a, a reverb unit. It's part of yeah. it. And you can... Uh, you can correct pitches a little bit. You can shift pitch if you want. So if you want to just goof around and make sort of a Mickey Mouse sound, I think you can easily do that or drop it way down. So it sounds like an alien. And again, these these tools at one time were really expensive. And now they're giving it away. Um, so if you just for pure goofing around with audio, the thing is a wonder. It's You just have to figure out where things are. But once you do, it's a wonderful toy. Yeah, and, and as a non-musician parent... You, you, that doesn't mean you're not a geek. If you're listening to this show, you probably are a geek. So once you get your child singing into this application and you put the background there or even don't put the background there, you're going to have a lot of fun fine-tuning it with the buttons and dials available in GarageBand. Absolutely. I did that for uh, Christmas presents a couple of years ago. My niece, who at the time was, I think she was four, um, she really liked to sing and she hadn't had any training and she wasn't very <laughs> much on pitch or anything. I said, well, what songs do you want to sing? And a couple of them I was able to buy background tracks. A couple I made background tracks using the iPad version of GarageBand. And she came over here for an afternoon. I put her on my podcasting mic and she sang into GarageBand for about an hour and a half. And I put together an album for her, for her mom, my sister-in-law. Oh, great. And she loved it. She still drives around with it in her car because then, you know, you can eventually get it on a CD and all the other things nerds do. And 
and I don't know. I just I have a lot of love for this application. I do too, and that that kind of thing is going to be a treasure. I mean, certainly when when that girl is seventeen, you want to hide it because she'll destroy it if she possibly can. But yeah. when she's about thirty five and plays it for her, her kids, that is going to be great. Well, fortunately, I know a little bit about backup. So <laughs> yeah, it's not going. It's a good thing you do. <laughs> Um, well, there's a lot more to talk about. I, I think we'll take a break right now to talk about our second sponsor today, and that's the Omni Group. I'm really excited. This year, or just recently, the Omni Group has released Omni Outliner 4, which is uh, something I've been waiting for for quite a bit. Uh, I think the Omni Outliner was the first Omni application I bought. And it's just a wonderful outlining application. And it, to me, epitomizes what's right about a Mac developer when they try and sweat all the little details. And we've all been using Omni Outliner 3 for, for many years now. And finally, we got Omni Outliner 4 for the Mac. It just came out, and they've done some really great stuff. Um, it's got zooming, so now you can magnify the text on the screen without changing the print layout which is something for me as I get older. It's kind of important. Uh, it's got a brand new UI, and it's a really nice UI. They've tweaked it in just about every way. The Omni Group has artists working there. All the icons look gorgeous. They're very usable. If you looked at Omni Graffle, you can see that there's kind of a relationship. The Omni apps have a certain look, and Omni Outliner 4 has taken that on as well. They added a resource browser, and that allows you to browse recently edited files or choose templates and apply themes to an existing document. And because now they've got that thing syncing over to Omni Outliner 2 on the iPad, all that stuff goes over. I mean, the styles they have are in line with the Omni Outliner 2 styles. So as you move things cross-platform, it's going to look really good. Uh, they've got a new sidebar. And they got rid of the drawer, which made, you know, the drawer was kind of a user interface element that made a lot of sense six or seven years ago. It doesn't anymore. Now it's just a nice clean sidebar. Shows the contents of your outline and your styles. And it, I like it a lot better with what they've done now. Um, and they've got theming, so you can apply styles and themes from a template. So you can just literally drag a style from one outline to the next. It's really sped up the process. The feature list really goes on and on. Column visibility that you can now adjust. Smart match technology so you can uh, match it. Hyperlinks of just about every sort. And you can turn the hyperlinks on or off if you want to put in your outline. Uh, attachments. You can add uh, just about anything to the to the thing. You can put audio clips, which will play right within the outline. You can put images, links, popovers. It's really something to see. And all of this uh, at a really great price. It's $49.99 for the basic on the outliner man if i was back in school i would buy that right now and then the pro version which is 99.99 uh they have it both in the mac app store and you can also get it directly from the omni group uh they also have family plans so if you want to buy multiple licenses for your family you can do that at a discount and if you're a student they've got education discounts too so make sure to check that out uh, I bought this version, I just bought it for myself over the weekend, uh, from the store. And since I had purchased Omni Outliner 3 so many moons ago, they gave me the upgrade pricing, which was half price, which is great. And uh, with this application, I've decided these higher uh, price applications, I'm going to buy them directly from the developer because I'm just not sure what's going on in the Mac App Store with these high-priced apps and 
term, especially in terms of upgrade pricing, whereas I did get upgrade pricing buying it directly from the developer. So I'd recommend going to theomnigroup.com to make this purchase. But it is definitely a worthy upgrade. If you've been using version 3 and you're on the fence, go download the demo version and you will see why you're going to want it. And if you haven't tried Omni Outliner yet, now's the time. Uh, I especially like the way everything ties together to the iPad, too, which to me has become key. So thanks, Omni Group, for sponsoring the Mac Power users, and congratulations on such a great job with this new Omni Outliner version 4. So, Chris, let's let's say that I decided that maybe you've got something here with this music, and since I'm not really a musician, I don't know how to play a musical instrument, but but maybe I can get in front of a microphone and start belting something out. That might or might not be a good idea, but why not? Um, Katie, I want you to do that so badly. <laughs> I can't tell you how much. Yeah, I sang a little bit on the last podcast, and and somebody said that I should record our our next theme song. But you know, I it's a done yeah. deal. Lots of reverb. Yeah. Um, but I don't play an instrument, so can GarageBand do anything with me for that? Well, you can, as I mentioned earlier, you can string together loops and create music that way. Um, they have loops for various instruments. So they have drums, they have bass, they have guitar, they have keys, they have strings, they have little voice things you can throw in there. And it, again, it's like putting together a little puzzle. You just string stuff along. They generally try to make these things so they just work together. So you can drag almost anything in there. And it's going to make some kind of tune. And it's not going to be really discordant. Some things don't work all that well with, with other things. But it doesn't take much to match things up. So you've got something that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it, and yeah, then, and as I, you say... Can I, just, can I just add on to that, yeah, though? Because it's, it, I can't understate how easy this is. They give you a menu to select from. It's like, do you want cheerful music? Do you want slow music? Do you want bass do you want drums they so you can very quickly index this thing down to a list of tracks it lets you just click on each one and hear a sample and then like lego you drag it in and just drop it and then you start layering them and, and ultimately and everything a, comes back to legos lego well it, it does. does it does it but does. It, it really the analogy works here and and most of them are in the key of C or the key of F, I believe. They, they only have a few keys, so everything kind of works together. Mm-hmm. And going back to the children analogy, once again, uh, with the little kids in my family, I have spent afternoons with them in GarageBand where we did nothing but build songs with loops. And, and they pick it up so quickly, once I show them how, they immediately want me out of the room or just out of off the computer, and they'll sit there and put the headphones on, and and they'll sit there for an hour. I mean, kids who have questionable attention spans will sit there for an hour and put together something, and it'll sound at the end like a rap song or an orchestra or yeah. It, it's just a, it's amazing the variety of music these kids will put together with these tracks or these loops that come just plugged into GarageBand. It's a, it's a great. I think that's really a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and also they're very professionally recorded. I mean, they're getting the se- the best session players in the world to do these things. I don't know who they are. I'd love to have a list of who's playing on them, because they're probably some well-known guys and women playing. But um, it doesn't sound cheesy at the end, which is really the miraculous thing. You could think, yeah, well, I'm going to end up with something that sounds like it was you know, recorded on some horrible equipment and sounds terrible. But when you put these things together, it sounds like a real band doing it. Um, and because it was a real band doing it. 
When I, um, a couple of years ago, I started doing screencasts for the uh, Smile software and like the Text Expander and PDF Pen. Mm-hmm. And I, I put little transitions in the videos. And Jean McDonald, who everybody knows and loves from Smile, uh, said she really liked the African sounding ones. And, and I said, those are just, those are just loops for, that I bought for GarageBand years ago. It's just a set of loops. I drop them in there. Everybody thinks I've got like a recording studio. I'm sitting in there with drums trying to knock out these transitions. Yeah. They're just loops. Yeah. If you're making, if if you're doing things like making YouTube videos, um, just throw some loops together. And it's it's really going to enhance pretty much everything you do. And you're right. Because they're so well recorded, it just classes up anything you put them on. We talked a little bit about some of the um, the changes from a podcast standpoint that were in GarageBand 10, but we also got a lot of music enhancements in GarageBand 2 and 10 as well. And I understand that Dave Hamilton now comes uh, inside GarageBand 10, the drummer in the box. Uh, we would no, like it kidding. if he did, but um, unfortunately, no, they couldn't afford oh, Dave. So okay. they, they had to get some, you know, some of these professional types to do it instead of you know godlike types. And, and for okay. those who don't know my reference, Dave Hamilton is of the Mac Geek Gab podcast, a, a good friend of ours who plays with Chris in the Macworld All-Star Band. It once a year, although twice this year, I understand. You were you're breaking your rule yes. and you're playing twice this year. We are actually playing twice this year. Yeah. No, Dave is a fabulous drummer. He's a he's a pro, such a good drummer and he can sing too and it's hard to play drums and sing at the same time. He's a great vocalist. So I am jealous of him because he's so darn talented. And so and he's a great guy too. So he's got it all going for him. That's and he has managed to not have any hearing loss despite all of this. <laughs> he's very careful about that and he he protects his ears and I'm I'm envious of that as well, because when we play together, I go, what? What did you say, Dave? I can't if you're going to Macworld this year, because we are going to be talking about it later in the show, definitely get yourself to the, um, to, Cirque was it the Mac. Macworld Blast. No, Cirque, Cirque de Mac. Mac. The, I'm sorry. Yeah. Cirque de Mac. Mac. Yeah. It, it is, it's probably the highlight of my trip every year. And, and Chris is just amazing. Yeah, Chris is on the keyboard. Uh, Paul Kent, who we'll have on later is on the guitar and Dave Hamilton on drums. And, and you got the guitar as we say in the business, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Bob Levitas plays guitar. We're, yeah. we're just a happening bunch of guys and it's an open bar. So we sound even more happening. The longer, the longer you stay, the better yeah. they sound. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, where were we going? Oh, we're talking the about the drummer track, right? Yes. So, right. So this is a new new feature in uh, GarageBand 10, and it came from Logic 10. And the idea is that when you put together a, a tune and you you drag drum loops in, it can sound a little static, or it could sound really static. I mean, they're they're great recorded things, but you, a lot of people tend to say, "Oh, good, I'll just put this eight bar, or four bar, or two bar." drum pattern in here and i'll just repeat it for like six minutes and it doesn't take long before you realize wow this isn't very interesting because i just keep hearing the same thing over and over again so what apple did and it's so brilliant is they created something called the drummer track when you create one of these things through i don't know what kind of intelligence but they're taking a real recorded drum or playing real drums and you can choose the different drum set that this uh, player plays and it will examine tracks around it and it will 
take cues from that and it will change up depending on what else is playing around it. Plus, you can use an XY pad and you can make it louder, softer, more complicated, less complicated. You can have it say, oh, okay, I'm going to get to the end of an eight bar phrase and I need some kind of turnaround. And, and that for a drummer, that's sort of like, okay, I finished a musical phrase. I'm going to do a little and then go on to the next thing. So the the upshot of this for non-musicians is that the drums actually sound like a drummer now instead of like a repeating loop. It's crazy. I I cannot get over cuz that was always one of my big problems. You know, to tell you how I use GarageBand, quite often I use it to make an accompaniment like kind of a backup band and I'll play my sax or my piano along with it. And the drums were always terrible because they start right in the middle of a a rock solid beat and then they go for 18 or 16 measures and they end you can't do like a fill at the end without a lot of uh, without a lot of you know fiddling and now it just right. happens and and not only that the drummer accents against the melody it's like when yeah. it sees the melody i guess it's looking at the midi events i'm not sure what how it's working i haven't tried it with an audio recording to see if it's as, as smart i bet it's not but the uh when you have it with a midi sequence or a MIDI melody, it's crazy how how good it is. Yeah, I had a briefing with Apple for Logic 10, and so it was the the Logic team was there, and I got to ask them how they did it, and they just kind of looked at me and said, well, it's complicated. And, <laughs> I mean, they sort of said, yeah, well, you know, we get like really the best players in the world, and we record them on all these different kits, and then there's stuff that happens and you couldn't possibly understand what it is. So we'll just tell you that it is so smart that um, you're just going to hear it and you're going to think you're hearing a real drummer and you do. Really nice feature for version 10. It got a new user interface. Um, they didn't yeah. do away with kind of the skeuomorphic because I think as GarageBand users, we all kind of like the, the wood grain, right? Yeah, they they have copied the, um, again, it's like Logic Light. They've gone to that kind of dark gray color that they've been using for Aperture, and now they've got it in Logic 10, and now they've got it in Final Cut Pro 10, and then also in GarageBand. There's still some skeuomorphic things in there, like when you have the drummer track, you see a real drum kit up there, and you can choose different drums that you want the drummer to play. So if, if you hate cymbals, for example, say, no, no cymbals, I want you to play percussion instead of doing that. But if you go into something called smart controls, when you click on an instrument like a B3 organ, for example, you'll get draw bars and you'll get knobs that look like the real thing, and they've got the wood grain in there. Or you pick a guitar... Uh, an acoustic guitar, and you've got an acoustic guitar kind of interface on there. So they have kept these elements in there, but they're useful. Instead, if you just had, you know, anonymous sliders and knobs, it doesn't give you much context to work with. So I think in this case, it actually does something. It's not there simply to look pretty. And another, I think, element of this for me, now I think we're kind of starting to stray a bit into the music background person listening right. to the show um and there are a lot of people out there like katie who played the piano a little bit but didn't stick with it for one reason or another and this is a really great jumping off point for you for not that much money you can buy yourself a decent midi keyboard and it's just a keyboard that has the ability to process midi signals which is kind of a computer language for notes i guess for lack of a better term and 
you can plug it into this application on the iPad or on the on the Mac, and you've got these great piano sounds in there, and you can pick a different sound. So, for instance, I will plug in my Mac to my MIDI keyboard, and I'll plug that into my speakers, and I'll have a really great uh, sound processor out of my my Mac, out of this application. Now, forgive me for asking yeah, what is, what is likely a basic question here. If I get a MIDI keyboard, because maybe I decide that I want to use some of these GarageBand lessons, which I'll get into a little bit later, in order for me to actually hear music that I can comprehend, do I have to plug it in my Mac and then plug my Mac into speakers, or or is there like a a switch you can flip and and, and actual music will come out? Well, the audio source of your Mac is where it'll play. If you've got it no, if you don't have speakers plugged in, it'll play through the speakers on your Mac. Right, but does a does a MIDI keyboard? It into an, I'm sorry. Does a MIDI keyboard have to be plugged into a computer, or or can it just be played uh, like a like a regular keyboard, like a poor you know, just a a standard keyboard? Yeah. Like, well, it depends on which one you it depends on which one you buy. I I have a Yamaha that's got speakers in it because I I'm not as fancy as Chris. You know, Chris actually goes out and plays gigs, so he's got probably a much nicer one. But mine has a few nice built-in sounds, but the the sounds because I bought a less expensive one, the sounds out of GarageBand and Logic are way better than the sounds that are built into my keyboard. Right. So a, a MIDI keyboard is really like having a wired keyboard for typing on right except you're playing musical notes instead of typing on number keys or letter keys and it at one time you had to have a midi interface because it had a five pin connector and you had to buy this weird stuff well now most keyboards come with a usb connector so you simply plug in a usb cable into the back of the keyboard plug it into one of the usb ports on your mac when you fire up GarageBand, it automatically recognizes it it recognizes a pedal plugged in. So if you're using a, a piano sound and you want to have a sustain pedal, you just plug that pedal in and use it that way. And then you plug your headphones in or your speakers and you play just like you're playing on a grand piano. And they have different piano uh, models. So they've got like a Steinway, they've got a Yamaha. Um, I think in Logic they have a Bosendorfer. I don't think that's in, in GarageBand. But you, instead of having to go out and buy six or seven or eight hundred dollar or a thousand dollar digital piano that a lot of people have because they want that sort of sound now for five bucks you can have garage band a midi keyboard that costs about 69 dollars it's not 88 keys but it's plenty for most people put it on your lap or put it on a stand get a little sustain pedal for it and you're playing piano do you have any recommendations for a star I, I did not realize they were so inexpensive for a starter keyboard for somebody who maybe wants to start taking backup lessons or yeah a lot of people um find m audios keyboards to be pretty good they are not terribly expensive they're a plastic keyboard so they've got a plastic feel they're not a weighted keyboard like uh, more professional keyboards so the resistance isn't the same but they have enough resistance so you don't feel like you're just hitting air when you're playing uh against or, these keys or like an organ feel you don't right like that. yeah yeah yeah, I'm, I use a weighted keyboard when I play professionally, but it does mean that I'm carrying around Spock's coffin and the thing weighs about 70 pounds. Um, but regular people don't have to do that. You can start on the non-weighted keyboard. If you get really serious about it, then you can move up to a weighted keyboard if you like. Well, then I guess that just... Yeah, I, Go ahead, David. I'm sorry. 
Uh, no, I guess ahead, that David. begs the question then is, you know, look, one of the things on my bucket list is is one day I would like to re-pick up the piano lessons and I would like to be able to learn to to play the piano. That's one of my great regrets is that I, I gave up piano lessons when I was a kid. So for all you kids out there listening, listen to your parents and stick in your piano lessons. But um, can I learn to play an instrument with GarageBand? Because I know uh, several keynotes ago now, um, you know, Steve Jobs touted the, you know, learn to play, and there are these great uh, teachers in GarageBand, and you're going to be able to buy more lessons, and then it just kind of fizzled out. It, have those gone anywhere? Is it a good starting point, or what, what can I do with that? It's a reasonable starting point. Um, they haven't gotten rid of them. The lessons are still there if you, because you can get GarageBand for free. For $5, you get the extra content. And when you pay that $5, you also get the lessons that go with it. So these are the same lessons that they originally came with. It's some guy named Tim who uh, teaches both piano and guitar, and he's really good. I think it's, I mean, the guy's clearly a multi-instrumentalist. He's a wonderful teacher. He'll get you started on the very basic stuff. So if you need to learn what the notes are called, how to press them, how to hold your hands, chords uh, for both piano and guitar, and if you're a more advanced player, you can get you can purchase artist lessons. So if you'd like John Fogarty to teach you how to play Proud Mary, buy gum for five dollars, I think. He'll do that. And it's a nicely recorded video. Um they haven't updated this stuff ever, I think. They've this is still the basic stuff. So you're gonna get to a point where you'll eventually need a real teacher, but to pique your interest, to see if this is something you really want to do. For example, I've tried using the guitar lessons because I don't play guitar. And um, after going through the lessons with Tim, I realized it hurt my hands. So I'm never going to play guitar. But, um, but at least it let me know without having to go out and get an expensive guitar and hire a teacher to do this. So, Oh, and I will say that, Katie, in my days of playing professionally, everybody came up to me and said, I wish I'd kept up my piano lessons as a kid. So you are not alone. It is common for people to hate piano lessons as their kids because they should, and then as adults regret it. So you kids out there, keep at it because someday you're going to regret it if you don't. I was so angry at my piano teacher when I was like 10. I wanted to play Thelonious Monk, and she wouldn't you're let me. You're such a freak, David. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's because those seconds, she thought you were making mistakes. You're going, bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah, no, she it's, said it's that, monk, She said that's monk. bad music. You got to play. You know, <laughs> it took me like 30 years, but now I'm just sticking it to the man. I'm playing nothing but monk. <laughs> All right. Well, nicely done. You were just before All right. time. Um, so, so, Katie, the answer is yes. I think you could get started. Um, in, in my family, I've had that experience with my, with I, this shows a lot about Sarah, I guess, but she's really into music and she went through the guitar lessons in garage band and now she's doing a lot of YouTube stuff. And I think next I she's been at it now long enough that I think I'm going to get her lessons. I mean, she's kind of gotten over the hump where it's not just a fly by night thing. So we're going to find her a real teacher, but I think it's a great entry point. And again, this the thing I can't get over is this just ships on your Mac. Because I remember how expensive it used to be to buy music processing anything. Oh, just yeah. like a MIDI sequencer was hundreds and hundreds of dollars back in the day. And this stuff just ships on your Mac. Yeah, it's shocking. Because I remember spending you know hundreds of dollars on uh, Opcode Vision, which was my favorite sequencer at the time. And then if you're buying Pro Tools now, still, it's horribly expensive. Um, and... So, 
and Apple really has just knocked the bottom out of the market. Market the Unicorn is still selling digital performer, and it's still very expensive. It's I think six or eight hundred dollars, and Logic Ten is two hundred, I think, and it's an amazing program. And the GarageBand again is free, and five dollars for the content. So yeah. it, it's the greatest bargain ever. I want to talk a little bit about Logic and how it fits in this and also the iOS apps. But before we do that, let's talk about our next sponsor, Katie, BusyCal. Yeah, BusyCal is back. And uh, welcome back to BusyCal. And BusyCal is an app that I use every day. It is an alternative to the built-in calendar app on OS X. And it really has helped me take the pain out of managing my schedule because, David, you and I both use Exchange 365 at work. And although Apple has integrated in some support for Exchange, how do I say this nicely? BusyCal does it better. So BusyCal provides you with a ton of useful features, and BusyCal really does a lot of things better. You can think of it as as Calendar Pro for your Mac, uh, including customizable views that allow you to control the number of weeks that are displayed. Uh, so instead of just having the standard seven- or five-day view on your calendar, you can say, no, I think I want a 12-day view, or I think I want a 10-day view on my calendar, or I want my, my week to start whatever today is, or I want my week to start on Mondays, you can completely customize your view in BusyCal. They also, you can do two-week views if you want. BusyCal also integrates with all of your to-dos that are right inside your calendar, so you can edit and create uh, tasks and move them around. They have smart filters for displaying custom views and albums, or excuse me, custom views and alarms. With uh, You can snooze, which that has been one of my big pet peeves with Calendar uh, for Mavericks is you can't really snooze something. So you can say snooze for five minutes, but what, what if I want to snooze it for longer than that? With BusyCal, you can say, no, how about you remind me 10 minutes before this starts? Or how about you remind me in 30 minutes? Or how about you remind me in two days? Uh, one of the things that I'm really enjoying is the integrated weather forecast because the weather here has been really wacky. It'll be 30 degrees one day and 70 degrees the next. And I can, at a glance, just quick look up at BusyCal and see what the week's got in store for me. And the beauty about BusyCal is you can use it side by side with everything that you already use. So the first time you launch BusyCal, it will import all of your data from Apple Calendar and it will stay in sync with it. So whether you're using iCloud, whether you're using Exchange 365, whether you're using regular Exchange, whether you're using Google, BusyCal will sync with everything. It will sync with CalDev servers. Uh, you are good to go. So I don't think you're going to find a more powerful, a more reliable, a more stable calendar than BusyCal and um, it, it's, it's just my calendar application of choice for so, so many reasons. Um, but you don't have to take my word for it, as LeVar Burton would say. Uh, you can download a free 30-day trial from BusyMac.com. And when you decide you're ready to purchase it, you can go grab it on the Mac App Store. It's only $49.99. So um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of BusyCal just for all of the information that they provide and the way that it integrates with everything that I need to do between sharing calendars with coworkers and scheduling appointments and events and uh, customizing my views and alarms. Uh, I just, I wouldn't be able to run my day without it. So it's a must have app for me. So again, check it out, busymac.com, get your free 30 day trial. And thanks to BusyCal for supporting the show. I, just today I was, we're getting ready to start a trial and I had all the important people in the room today as we're kind of doing the last minute planning. And I had my screen up, my computer up on the big, on the Apple TV driven screen and at one point I wanted to like set you know witness days and certain things so I 
I flipped it to BusyCal to do all that. And there's like three Mac users in the room. And when I flipped away, they all simultaneously, they went, wait, 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 wait what was that? <laughs> you know, they'd never seen it before. And it's just so much better than the built-in calendar application. I, I think I sold three copies today. There you so go. <laughs> go check it out. It's, it's definitely worth your time. Um, so Chris, getting back to the, the, the two pieces to this that have really changed a lot over the last couple of years for me is number one is the iOS support. And all the stuff you've been talking about, we've been mainly focusing on the Mac, but I find that the iPad version of GarageBand it brings me so much joy. I will sit on the ca- I'll sit on the couch when my kids are watching Downton Abbey and put in my headphones and I will write a song. I, I just can't get over how much easier it is with this little tablet, and I, I really enjoy the experience of working on it. Um, one of the things I like, and this is something back to our musician. You know, the people who fell off the wagon out there, uh, you probably know enough about music if you've studied it at all, that there are chords that underlie melodies. And and that's a really basic thing. If you look at any song, even if you've never played a lick of music, you can see it'll say C and F major or whatever. There's chords listed uh, in both on the Mac, but even more so on the iPad. I can just type in those chord changes and then it will do bass lines and drums and piano and strings even now. And I really just get a lot of joy out of doing that. Um, do you use that feature much? I use it a little bit. Um, I tend to play everything live um, because I connect my iPad or my Mac to, to the keyboard. So I find it just easier to do that. If I happen to be out and about somewhere, yeah, then I'll use the, the onboard controls for that kind of thing. And see, that's one thing where I think uh, our relative skill levels kind of dictate how we use the tool. Because if I wanted to lay down like a funky organ vamp, to me, that would be a project. I'd have to really figure it out and practice it and get it down. Mm -hmm. Whereas you could just knock that out. In fact, I've seen you just knock that out. And um, But for me, someone I don't have the ability to do that very easily without a heavy investment of time. Whereas just throwing a few sliders in the iPad app, I can get a funky organ vamp going no problem. And, and I think that's a use for someone out there. If if you're like me and you, you understand chord structure, but you're not good enough to play a bass line in the way you want it to sound, the application will do it for you. And then, you know, that frees you up. Let's say you're a piano player. You can get the bass and the drums and the strings going, and then you can play your piano along with that. And it works just great. I, I think that's really fun. Yeah, they also have a uh, the ability to, um, to map melodies. So you can constrain the keyboard so that you're only playing within a certain scale. So you can't play wrong notes. And I was doing a, a seminar, I was teaching some people how to use GarageBand, and these people didn't know how to play anything. And so I showed them how to put loops together, and we did that, and then I created one track for them, and I uh, chose the blues minor scale, yes. and said, play. And they just went, well, I can't play. I said, yes, you can. Just wipe your finger up and down the keyboard. And they suddenly, the, this look of rapture came over them, like, wow, I'm playing the blues. It's like, yes, you are playing the blues, and you can't play the wrong note. And I think that is just so wonderful. The the first day I learned to play, I think the B flat blue scale on my saxophone, I thought that I was the king of the world. You were. I think I wrote about 20 blues songs over the next two weeks. 
Yeah. I mean, the blues is, is so elemental. And it's the chord structure is very predictable, uh, although you can have variations on it. And who doesn't like to play the blues? Yeah. I think, I think Katie could play some mean blues. Maybe. I, I'm not really a bluesy person. I think you got it in you, Katie. I might. So Everybody has a bad day sometimes. Again, well, that's true. So I am curious if you guys are done talking about GarageBand for iOS. Oh, I have a question yes. about GarageBand for iOS. As a non-musician, can I use it? Can I use GarageBand for iOS, say, to edit a podcast on the go? I know at one point there was an issue where it, it had like a max recording length of something that was too short for podcasting, and, and I don't know if that has since been removed. I believe it has. Um, you can. It's uh, like a lot of things on iOS. Not ideal. You can do a lot of things. Yeah, I, I just think because editing with your finger, particularly if you're doing a lot of editing, I would much rather do it on a computer. I have more effects, um, particularly with voice. You don't have the a number of um, effects that you that you would on the computer side of it. So I just for that kind of picky editing. I would go with a computer for making music. I think it's great. Um, the iPhone app, although it's incredibly powerful, I find the keyboard just so tiny on there. If I tried to solo on my phone, I just couldn't. So I would find it laborious to try to do that unless I plugged in an external keyboard. So I think the iPad for mobile is the perfect solution because it gives you enough surface area to actually play on. Yeah, and so I, what I use the phone for once again is playing with chords. Yeah, and and some of the you know the automated instrument sounds. Right. The um and then we're at what point do you look at Logic? Well, I think for this show you probably don't look at Logic. The whole idea of the show was you know getting everybody into GarageBand. But what does Logic give you? Uh, it's it costs money. I think it's two hundred dollars now to buy it, and it's only mm-hmm. available in the App Store. It gives you a much more refined set of tools. I mean, it's a professional level recording tool, so you could make some really high quality recording with it. It gives you a lot of loops. It gives you a lot of instrument sounds. I mean, I think there's something like 30 gigabytes of downloadable data if you take the whole thing. Yeah, because they have the the custom material that they make for Logic, and they give you a subset of that for, for GarageBand. But on top of that, they give you all the old GarageBand sounds, all the old GarageBand uh, jam packs, which in, back in the day, if you bought them all, it would be more than the 200 they're asking for Logic. Yeah, they used to cost $100 for each one of those jam packs. <sighs> yeah, so that, I mean, the thing is an incredible bargain. So, yes, if you want to make an album, uh, you could do it in GarageBand, but Logic is probably the better tool for it. And the nice, I mean, one of the many nice things about Logic is that they've improved the interface. It used to be when eMagic owned Logic, it was it was then the most powerful DAW, digital audio workstation app there was, but it was really hard to use, and they knew it. And I've talked to some of the people at Apple who were at eMagic, and they said, yeah, 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 we know it was it was rough. And so one of the things that Apple has really made a mission of is, is creating logic in a way that's understandable to people so they don't have to page through a 2,000-page manual, but instead can pick it up and start using it. And so there's been this nice relationship between GarageBand where they've learned certain lessons about usability, and they bring those to Logic 10, and then they bring some of the features from Logic 10 down to GarageBand because it's developed by the same team. I haven't looked yet. Are the, are the drummers from the new GarageBand in Logic yet? 
they started in Logic, and so they and they migrated down to GarageBand. So you oh, get more drummers, more drum sounds, and there's it's more configurable. Okay, well, and it's really a natural. I guess if you start hitting your head against the limitations of GarageBand is when you start thinking about it. But uh, the point I would like to make with this show is you'll be just fine with GarageBand. Yeah, if you if you need Logic, you'll know it. So if if you hit the limit, I mean, if you if you are a professional quality musician or a really enthusiastic amateur and you find that editing after a while gets tedious because you would like the tracks to be wider or you really want fine tuning of your editing or you need a trillion tracks, although GarageBand does darn close to a trillion tracks, you'll know. You'll know it's time to upgrade and, and you will. But for the vast majority of people, GarageBand is going to be plenty. Well, I think we've made our sell, Chris, at this point. Good. We don't get a cut of this, by the way. I just want to say that we want more people making music. Yeah, and, and if you make something cool, send it in. I'd like to hear it. And you know, Or if nothing else, make a ringtone of your kid saying something silly. There you go. Well, Chris, tell us a little bit about this uh, series you've done on GarageBand for the magazine and, and where folks can find out more information about that and, and about you. Sure. Um this garage, but this is all part of a Mac 101 column that I've been doing for a little over a year now. And it's the idea is the conceit is that people start with knowing nothing and they work their way through and they, by the end of the series, they should be reasonably comfortable on their Mac. So this is the last of the iLife elements within there. So the series is, is wrapping up. I'm about halfway through the GarageBand series. I've done three so far, and these are those are intended for people who are not musicians. I'm going to move on in the coming weeks into where people have, like you, Katie, took lessons at one time. They'd like to pick it up again. Or people who are musicians but haven't used the program before. So not going to get ultra geeky about it, but if you have some musical background, you'll want to tune into the next couple of these things. Um, That's all on Macworld.com. And then, as for me, I'm all over Macworld.com. I have a personal blog where I write stories about being a musician, and that's at ChrisBreen.com. And otherwise, you know, I'm just out doing stuff. Chris, when you wrote that post about holiday music, oh, I sent that, I sent that off to like five friends from my old musician days. Did they get it? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, we all get it. Yeah, <laughs> we all get it. <laughs> and the gist and of just that going, is that musicians hate holiday music uh, because you start playing it when you're like four, and by the time you're twenty, you've had enough. And then you list the big twenty-six, the twenty-six songs yeah. that every musician needs to know. Yeah, there are, there are exactly 26, and I realized that when I was, I had the Nordstrom gig for a while, and the manager of the store came up, and she's, because it's a four-hour gig, and she said, you must play nothing but Christmas music, and I counted, I said, there are only 26 Christmas songs that anybody knows. She said, well, you have to play them all, and play them all, and play them all, and play them all again, and that was the end of my career at Nordstrom. <laughs> well, I, I really love the stuff you do at Macworld, Chris. You're also uh, the host quite often of the Macworld podcast, and I know you do a lot of the back-end stuff for them on that as well. And you're going to be giving a full-day session, I understand, at Macworld this year on using the iPad for business, which is something I think everybody should check out. Um, and you just keep giving to the community, Chris, and we, we, we very much appreciate it. And, and thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. And speaking of Macworld, we are going to be talking to Paul Kent in just a minute. But before we do, David, you want to talk about our last sponsor? 
Our last sponsor today is Squarespace.com. And I'd like to recommend Squarespace to everyone out there that wants to build a website, that, but is just too intimidated by it. And it used to be that in order to make your own website, you had to have a PhD in web programming and understand how all this stuff worked. That's not true anymore. With Squarespace, you can get it all done for you. It's a very simple system with professionally designed templates that you can customize yourself and kind of give them your own life. Once you get going with it, they've got this great drag and drop system where you can move things around the screen with just your mouse. I love it because it's allowed me to make Max Barkey uniquely my own, but at the same time using that professional design to keep it looking professional. As I've gone with it over the years, it just keeps getting better and better. If you want to do e-commerce, they've got you covered for that, too. If you want to do social hooks, they've got it so you can send people to your Facebook or to your Twitter account or whatever social account that you want to use. I've been using it for years, and Katie has, too, over at katiefloyd.me. Another thing I really like about Squarespace is the responsive design, and that means that even though things look good on the Mac, sometimes they don't look so good on the mobile devices. Well, that's not true with Squarespace. The service actually recognizes when it's being viewed on an iPhone, for instance instance, and it'll reformat your page so it looks good on an iPhone. I think that's really important as people start using mobile devices more and more. It all starts for $8 a month. Uh, If you buy a year, you get a free domain. Uh, Our listeners love it too, and we often get websites sent to us from listeners. I'd like to feature one this week from Heather Craig Olins, uh, which is at heatherolins.com, H-E-A-T-H-E-R-O-L-I-N-S.com. Heather is a graduate student in the scientists and and a scientist, and it's important for her to have a website so people can find when they're interested in her work. And she wasn't ready to pay money for hosting, and she had a really basic Google site, and she just wasn't happy. So she listened to us and decided to try Squarespace, and she loves it. Uh, she's developing her site now. As she said, it's still a work in progress, but it's looking really good. She's got a blogging component. She's got photography up there, uh, a whole lot of uh, information about her work as a scientist and I think it's just a really good face for Heather to the world and I I think it could be for you too. So go check out Squarespace. Go check out Heather's site and see what you can do with a squarespace.com website. Uh, You can get a discount if you go to squarespace.com slash MacPowerUsers or if you just put in the coupon code MPU1 that's MPU for MacPowerUsers and number one for the month of January. Go check it out and let us know what you're doing with Squarespace. Paul, thank you for joining us this year. I have to tell you that I'm going through some serious geek withdrawal with Macworld being at the end of March of this year. I understand, but I tell you, it'll be worth it. Oh, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. We, you know, Paul Kent uh, comes on the show every year for uh, those new listeners. Paul is in charge of making Macworld iWorld happen for us, and for that, we are all eternally grateful. Well, you guys are always so nice to have me on the show. You guys do a great job with your with your readers. They love your show, and we want them all to come to Macworld iWorld, so let's talk about it. Well, I, I think in particular, our show brings the Macworld listeners in because, you know, we are, um, you know, our, our listeners are not in general programmers. They're people that want to get better at using their Macs, and there's really no better place in the world to do that than, than Macworld every year in San Francisco. Um, and... Katie and I have both been going for years, and I guess just to talk generally, the the conference has several components to it. There's the show floor, which is a lot of fun. You go there, and every year I spend more money than I want to, but I have a great time doing it. There's all these vendors with great products, and you guys are 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 really big this year. Paul's looking at the uh, the map, and you've got some great vendors coming this year. 
Yeah, we're excited about it. I mean, the show floor is an interesting place because not only do you get to, like in our app area called Appalooza, we'll have about 150 app developers. So you get to talk to the guy who usually wrote the product, which is kind of fun and exciting. Uh, you get to discover some secret tips about a lot of the products that you might be already be using. And then the, one of the nice things about the show floor in general is that so many of the people that are exhibiting are doing show specials. So it's kind of a, a fun shopping jaunt. Yeah, I mean, it, it always costs me a lot, but it's great. I come home with a bag of stuff, and my wife kind of lets me off the hook. She understands. I go to Macworld. I'm going to buy some crazy crazy gadget that I never knew existed before I went there. Uh, the other thing I really like about the show floor, though, is just you're right among all the, the other Mac Power users, and I always make new friendships just walking around the show floor. Uh, and that's not just because I do a podcast. I mean, you just bump into people that have all these common interests with you. Um, Macworld is the only conference I've ever seen where complete strangers sit on the floor together and share menu bar apps. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's always had that vibe. This is actually our 30th year of Macworld iWorld. It's the 30th year of wow. the Mac, but it's the 30th year of Macworld. And um, one thing that has been a consistent component of it over the course of time has been this sense uh, of community, openness, and welcomeness. It's really a vibe where, you know, everybody under that roof is an Apple products fan, you know, whether they're long timers who've been using the Mac for years, relatively newcomers who, you know, iPads or iPhones are their first introduction uh, to, uh, to Apple products, but everybody under the roof loves the, the, the power and the possibility of what Apple products uh, enable for them. And the show has always been about, you know, helping people to take that love further, to take their skills further, um, to find out the products and the tips and techniques that can make being an Apple product user ever more enjoyable. Now, Paul, for, for people who don't regularly go to the show, that's probably all they know about the show is, well, there's this this big floor where, where people exhibit because a lot of the press coverage of the show is of the show floor. You know, there'll be podcasts and video podcasts and uh, articles written about what's on the show floor. But that's really just kind of a small part, an important part. But just really one part of all the stuff you've got going on at Macworld, iWorld, you know, that's really on the on the first level. But then you can, you know, physically go up many levels because you've got stuff going on. You guys have got all of Moscone there to yourself, and and you pack that place with content. Um, what else have you got going on besides the uh, besides the show floor? Sure, Katie. So let's back up a little bit. So in addition to the show moving from its late January, February time slot that it's been the last four or five years, we've to March 27th through 29th. So we should probably put that out there right away. March 27th through 29th in San Francisco. We also, for this year, we're going to move which part of Moscone the show's in. So we're not in the West Hall like we've been for the past couple of years. We're going to be in the North Hall, which is just right across the street. I mean, essentially, it's all part of the same Moscone complex. And the nice thing about the North Hall is that things are geographically a lot closer. The show floor to the meeting rooms where we hold our educational sessions are all really very, very close together. So that's kind of the broad scope, the dates and where it's going to be. And then, like you said, the, the show floor, you know, new products are always the star of the show. I mean, we'll have hundreds of products that are introduced for the first time at Macworld and exhibitors there who will be showing these products for the first time. New products are always the star. And that's really a large part of the news that comes out of the show that people will hear and people have heard about over the year. What cool apps have come out, what cool utilities and accessories have come out. But we also operate this very, very popular educational conference. We'll have about 2,500 people attending educational sessions with us this year. And the educational conference has a few different components. It has full-day workshops, and I'll tell you about those in a second. 
And then it has all of these breakout sessions that are kind of deep dives into some specific area of Apple computing. And actually, my good friends, Katie Floyd and David Sparks, are going to be doing a couple of those breakouts, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm doing one on paperless. And uh, Katie, you're doing a session as well, correct? I'm doing a session on the Apple Media Center. So talking yeah. about you know cord cutting and putting together your own um, media center and how you can explore all this great content that's out there. Um, and then I heard a rumor that you put these two people together to do this session on power user stuff. Yeah, yeah. so that's, uh, that's the thing. And what you just described is, that's two examples, like, you know, really getting into the Apple Media Center and, you know, all the ideas about cutting the cord. That's the type of great content that, they're, you know, it's best learned in person. There's a lot of content. Sure, people ask, why do you need to have a face-to-face conference when there's all this, all this information that's on the, on the web, on the Internet? Well, some people learn better face-to-face where they can kind of, you know, understand an instructor, go ask questions of an instructor, um, listen to the crosstalk that goes on between the other students in the class. So all of these types of deep dives are going to help make you uh, much more aware of the power that a lot of this Apple technology has for you. Uh, David's session on paper is a good example. Everybody talks about paperless. How do you really put it into practice? And that's the type of session. We'll have sessions on Siri, you know, really what are all the commands that you can do with Siri. Um, we'll have sessions on understanding how iCloud works. You know, it's been a crazy busy year in the Apple world because we've had an upgrade of OS 10 to Mavericks. We've had an upgrade of iOS to 7. All of the iLife apps, all of the iWork apps have been upgraded this year. And we have conference sessions on just about every one of these things to help people understand the new capabilities. So the conference is very robust, covering all of Apple's stuff in depth, a lot more in depth than you can get at a, at a Genius Bar appointment. And then also we'll have a couple of things, you know, there, there are things we know about our audience. We'll have a couple of sessions that are just about topics of interest going on in the broader technology world. The, one of the keynotes that we've announced so far is Robert Scoble and Shell Israel. So Robert is um, widely referred to as the father of blogging. And um, he's written this book with Shell Israel called The Age of Context about how our mobile devices are gathering and reporting so much information about us based upon where we are, context. So, you know, in an oversimplified manner, you know, when you walk into a store, has your has your phone collected information or or have you allowed it to share information? And the privacy concerns about that, that your mobile device becomes a companion relative to the context of the environment that you're in. That's, you know, there are Apple-specific um, issues about that, but it's really a kind of a technology enthusiast, a technology user's um, area of interest. Similarly, we'll have issues on uh, Bitcoin. Everybody's asking, what's Bitcoin? We'll explain that to you. Um, we're working on a session right now, um, all of this stuff that's been in the news about what is the truth about the NSA and Apple? How much information is being shared? You know, what about me do I need to know uh, if I'm going to have a connected device? Um, you know, is the NSA watching every move that I have? Uh, and so we're going to have uh, um, uh, we're working on a session right now uh, that will answer questions like that. So Apple product-specific things, technology um, topics of general interest, a lot of deep dive training, a lot of how-tos, a lot of best practices, um, all in a very enjoyable Apple Mac-like um, environment. The speakers are entertaining and uh, and really enjoyable and really accessible. Uh, and the topics are things that you just need to know in order to get the most out of your products. You know, it really is a community of learning. I Last year I did that iBooks author session, and it was Friday at, I think, 5 o'clock. And I thought, well, who will come at Friday? And it was full. And 
I mean, the people were standing. And afterwards, we stayed about another hour. I think they threw us out of Moscone eventually. And from that group, the several new authors, several people who were writing books, and we've all been emailing each other. I mean, a really like a, a, a community grew out of a session. And that really epitomizes the experience for me at Macworld, that you go there and you meet these like-minded people, and everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction, and they want to help each other. And it's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. A very collaborative, very welcoming environment. I totally agree. And David, we just kind of brushed over it a little bit, but I I guess for our listeners, we should provide a little more information. I am really excited um, about the session that you and I are doing together. And we both have our separate sessions, but I'm really excited about the one that we're doing together at Macworld iWorld this year. Um, because what we're doing is we are taking kind of the best of Mac Power users and we are putting it together live for the Macworld iWorld audience. And uh, I think we've got about 45 minutes just to pack in our best tips, tricks, workflows. You know, gosh, how long have we been doing this podcast? Over four or five years of podcasting. And not quite sure how we're going to do it yet, but we'll figure it out. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be magic, magic tricks with explanations. And that's kind of one of those sessions where uh, one of the more rewarding things for me is uh, most people who attend are looking for that one tip or trick that kind of changes their life, changes their perspective on how they use these these tools, and it and it justifies their whole time and their whole cost to attend. And I think your session is going to deliver that to a lot of people. I sure hope so, and and I hope we get to meet some of our listeners because it's always a joy to to meet people. Last year, I met people from Africa and Germany and the U.S. and all over the place that listen to our show, and it it just always brings it home for me that there's people on the other side of this microphone. Um, another piece of MacWorld that I I consider just as essential as the show floor and the sessions is the social component, and I've kind of alluded to that. But if you show up to MacWorld, there's a ton of great parties, and it's full of geeks just like you, and you're going to make new friends and have a great time. I mean, the you know you guys have the MacWorld All Star Band that plays every year at Cirque du Mac, and the the MacWorld Blast is the MacWorld Blast coming back this year? We're not going to do the MacWorld Blast this year because even though it's been kind of fun to do the last couple of years, what we found is um, people kind of self organize and they've been going to more of the of the vendor led things, kind of like in the early days of MacWorld. So a lot of the kind of you know the things that the developers are doing or the, some of the publications are doing, those have become the most popular social gatherings at the show. Uh-oh. So we're going to get out of the way and let people self-organize. I have to admit, Paul, that I, I've missed the Macworld Blast a few times just because of that, because there's so many other options that you can't be in so many places at once. So, I mean, it really is great. And if you're going to go, write Katie or me, you know, or write Paul or write, you know, if it's your first time, talk to somebody who's been there before and help help get yourself pointed in the right direction to the social stuff because if you go and you book a hotel room and you go to the conference room and then at the end of the day you go back to your hotel room and watch tv you're missing out on a lot of the fun and i really encourage you to 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 go out of your you know comfort level we're all kind of nerdy and we're all kind of introverted this is the place to kind of let your geek flag fly and we should kind of talk about that if someone out there is listening and they're thinking about coming into their first time you know you've done a great job David explaining that it is a very welcoming environment, that type of thing. But here's the deal with the social stuff. You got to, you got to put yourself out there a little bit. You got to make friends. You got to you know, join conversations. Um, don't be afraid at the end of classes or even, you know, a lot of times you'll be taking in a demonstration on the show floor and uh, someone else will ask a question that you like, um, you know, go up to them and say, Hey, that was really interesting. Thanks a lot. I had that question too. Be, don't be afraid of being social. You'll find our, our, our typical attendees. Remember, we're all under the same roof. 
move for the same premise. We all enjoy using Apple technology. So, you know, the whole thing about parties and getting an invites to these types of things. Yeah, people will do contests, you know, pay attention to those. I'm sure you guys will let people know as we get closer. But the, the tip is this. Don't be afraid to be social. Don't be afraid to, you know, make friends. Don't be afraid to introduce yourself to people. You'll find only too welcoming uh, a, a community of people who are glad you're with us. Yeah, so you get excellent speakers. You get excellent products and services. You get an excellent opportunity to make new friends. There's really not a reason, if you listen to this show, not to, to go there if it's at all possible. Yeah. Well, Paul, the, so the details are it's March 27th through 29, which is just in a couple months now, but it's not so far that it's not too late to book your hotel and your flight. Um, uh, the Mac Power User session is going to be on Thursday the 27th at 3 p.m., so save that because we definitely want to see you. And uh, I'm going to do the paperless session on Friday, March 28th at 2 p.m. And Katie, when is your session going to be? Mine's Saturday. I believe it's at 10 a.m. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, And boy, if you just go on the website right now, you'll see there's so many great uh, sessions and content available. Um, If you're not going to do the conference and just going to go to the show floor, it's the same thing. There's a ton of entertainment on the show floor and there's things going on all the time. It's it's like a nerd circus and I love every minute of it. And uh, and I know how hard you guys work to put this on, Paul. And uh, I think all of us in the community are very appreciative of all the work you put into it. Well, you know, it's absolutely a joy. You know, we've been doing this, like I said, 30 years. I've been with the show since 1997. And the team just uh, takes with great pride the privilege of putting this uh, event on uh, and hosting the community every year. So uh, here's to 30 more. Yeah, absolutely. And this, like, just my last point would be this. If you've gone to other conferences and you say, well, you know, I've been to the home show or whatever, and that stuff is just not for me. This is not like any other show you've ever been to. So if you if you like the Mac, if you like iOS, and and it's possible for you to get there, show up and definitely find me and Katie too because we want to talk to you. Yeah, and and there's still time, right? I mean, there's still time. To, there's there are hotels that can still be booked. I just bought my flight. I just got my hotel. So there's still time for people to go do this. And, and one of the beauties of it being backed out to March is that you know there's still plenty of time to to go. There is plenty of time. I actually have a special offer for your readers, if I may. Please. All right, so right now, the cost to get a ticket to just the show floor, so that'd be to see all the exhibits and the booths and the two stages that are on the show floor. You know, we have one where uh, the Macworld Magazine folks are doing Macworld Live and doing a bunch of uh, interviews and that type of stuff, plus our second stage where there'll be performances and and, uh, other podcasts. Uh, The cost to just go to the show floor is $25. If you want to go to the conference... And that $25 goes up to $30 if you just walk up to the door at the show. If you want to come to the conference, that's over 50 sessions. Um, you know, it's where you guys are speaking. Um, it's where our main stage is, where the keynote is, and, you know, other great. We have a, a great session on the state of Apple that Jason Snell is leading. Um, the cost to come to the conference is 249 right now for all three days of content, which goes up to 349 at the end of February. But we want to do a special offer for our good friends, uh, uh, Katie and David's listeners. So if you guys use the uh, code when you register of TDDS, that's Tom, David, David, Sam, 14, when you go to the macworldiworld.com site and register, it'll ask you for a code. Put in the code TDDS14. We want you to be able to get into the show as inexpensively as possible. $10 for a show floor pass and 149 instead of 249 Save 100 bucks on a conference pass. So it's a great offer. It's only going to be up 
for 48 hours after this uh, show airs. So, um, you know, hopefully you, you, most of your listeners are downloading the show right after you put it up for 48 hours. So save 15 bucks on a show floor pass and $100 on a conference pass. Great offer because we want you all to be there. That's yes. a great deal and totally worth it. Yeah, so this, worth this it at two fifty. This show will go up on uh, Monday the twenty seventh. Maybe you might get lucky; it might go up late Sunday the twenty sixth. So, would it be fair to say that it, it'll be good through Friday the twenty eighth? Or I'm sorry, it'll Tuesday be, the twenty eighth. Well, well, if it goes up Monday, I'll yeah. do Monday. I'll, we'll, we'll do it until Wednesday at noon. How's that? Perfect. All right. We'll do that Wednesday at noon. Well, everybody, you have your orders. Get yourself to MacWorld and come find me and Katie. There and, you go. and you'll have a great time. So, thanks a lot, Paul. And and I, as I keep saying, but uh, Kathy and you got everybody over there. Just I, I I'm a witness to how hard you work, and I'm a beneficiary to it. So uh, thank you so much for doing it, and thanks for taking the time and coming on the show and telling us about MacWorld. Always a pleasure. You know, Katie, every year I gush all over MacWorld, but it really is really special to me. I really enjoy going there every year. Yeah, and I do hope that our listeners, if they can come. Um, I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Uh, a lot of people that we know and people who have been on the show are going to be there. So please, please come. We'll let you know where we're going to be. We'll let you know what's going on and, and say hi. And we, we really enjoy that. So, But I think that's probably going to about wrap up this episode. And yes. So where can you find us? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about on this episode on our website at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also search for things that we may have mentioned in the show notes and find a list of all of our previous episodes there. Or you can also find us at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 174, I believe, for this episode. We are quickly ratcheting up there to 200. I know. It goes fast, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you can reach us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, or you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Barkey. All right. Well, thanks, David. Book your Macworld tickets, and we will see you all next time.